0: Welcome to the second part of the news quiz of the year. As ever, we begin with a cutting, read by Charlotte Green. Here's a cutting from the British Transport Police Public Survey.
1: Question
2: six, have you ever been a victim of crime on the railway? If no, go to question eight. Question eight, why not?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it seems an age ago, that summer of 2003, when you still hadn't heard of the Tory leader when David Beckham thought that Real Madrid was just different from the plastic imitation Madrid, and the chances of England ever winning a World Cup in anything seemed slighter than finding weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Linda, which parliamentarians have been looking into the truth, the mole truth, and nothing but the truth?
2: Uh, well... Hmm, do we care? Do we care? We don't really, do we? Basically, new developments in the dossier are that they think they found the BBC's source in the Ministry of Defence and the BBC are keeping quiet about it. And Robin Cook's now saying, rather sadly, I don't believe we'll ever find the weapons of mass destruction. Oh. Yeah, it's sad, really, but one little boy's kept his faith, mm. Tony Blair. <laughs> he still it's... believes in weapons of mass destruction. Oh. He, in it fact, he stood up in Parliament and, and said, boys and girls, all clap if you believe in weapons of mass destruction you are, Tony. That's three people in Britain.
3: <laughs> As of tonight, though, he's changed it. and Now, the insistence that he's looking for Saddam Hussein's plans for weapons of mass destruction. Hmm. Uh, I mean, next week it will be looking for a note left on Saddam Hussein's <laughs> mother's fridge about weapons of mass destruction in the oven. <laughs> uh, he, did, he did change it,
4: didn't he? He started saying that he had programmes for Weapons of Mass Destruction. It sounds like something on
2: ITV, doesn't it? Changing machines. <laughs> <laughs> Do
5: you know, I've
4: never actually sat next to a genuinely funny woman and it's fantastic. It's... <laughs> <laughs> and, and I realise it's putting me off. I've only ever seen Linda Smith at a great distance thinking, that, that woman <laughs> far off, she's funny. <laughs> and, I, and I'm so much taller. You are. We'd be rubbish on a netball team together. <laughs> if our chest pass, you'd knock me out. <laughs>
6: I haven't actually uh, contributed anything to this, this question yet, but I must Hello, say Dave. that I do Hi. have the ability to answer this question in under 45 minutes.
3: <laughs> I mean, when Simon mentioned uh, in that wonderfully turned question, you mentioned the mole, and I was listening uh, to Nick, I think, on the radio yesterday, he was talking about Andrew Marr, who always keeps his ears close to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> if Andrew Marr's ears are close to the ground, there isn't any ground. <laughs>
0: Francis, who had an ace in the hole? Uh, The Americans found Saddam
7: Hussein, who had uh, rather cunningly grown a beard to disguise himself as David Blunkett. uh, (laughs) But, of course, you don't fool George W. Bush that easily. Uh, So they shaved off the beard and found they'd got Lord Lucan, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Looked jolly like him to me. But um, he was found, yeah, he was found hiding in a tiny hole in the ground near Tikrit. And the house next door, where he'd been living most of the time, was the house of his former chef, rather surprisingly, his hideout. And, sorry to say, probably not a very good chef, to judge by the state of the kitchen, because uh, there were a couple of Mars bars, I think, and a can of 7-Up, mm-hmm. and then a horrible-looking bowl of gunk
3: that might have been a salad at one stage. It was rather like that uh, Daily Mirror bloke who got into the palace. It was sort of a Tupperware situation. I mean, nobody lives well at the higher echelons. He's lying there on 750,000 quid. He's eating a Mars bar out of an old saucepan. (laughs) I think nobody lives well. I think he must have thought after a fairly difficult year that uh, he was getting things sorted out. He got a a place to hide. He got three-quarters of a million pounds in dollars. And he'd worked out a perfect way to avoid Christmas. (laughs) The sad thing is that nobody can tell that great Salam joke anymore. You know the joke about the doubles? Go on, go on. Oh, it's great. No, it's a terrific joke. While he was on the run, there were 48 doubles of Saddam Hussein. And at some point, they were all gathered together by Tariq Aziz. And he said, there's good news and there's bad news. They haven't found Saddam yet, but he's lost an arm.
5: (laughs) You know, there's certain
7: words that only ever appear in newspaper headlines, like probe and rap and quiz and so forth. And there was a headline in, I think, the Daily Mail saying, British experts will join Saddam Quiz. And I had a, a charming idea that uh, Anne Robinson was going to be flown out <laughs> to supervise the uh, thing with Chris Tarrant as her junior.
3: It was pretty dramatic the way they, they said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we got him. And then everybody, cheering like that. I, right down the front, was the rookie reporter going, who? <laughs> <laughs> Sit down, keep the noise down, Who? <laughs>
0: It wasn't just the famous dossier that was dodgy. Around the nation, in spite of the wonderful summer weather, we faced grim prospects, a housing crisis, a drought, another series of the moral maze. Nor were things looking good for Geoffrey Archer, Ian Duncan Smith and that, um, comedian who invaded Buckingham Palace. Curiously enough, we never had him on the show. Linda, listen to this. (laughs) Linda, who's now free as a jailbird to climb Everest on one leg, win the World Cup for the third time in two weeks, and invent a cure for boldness after escaping from Stalagliff, Holosey Bay. <laughs>
8: Don't well, give him the oxygen of publicity. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm not that happy with him having the oxygen of oxygen, actually. <laughs> but this is, this is Norman Stanley Archer, isn't it, who's... Um... <laughs>
5: Been gotcha. <laughs>
2: <Botcher>. <laughs> and uh, he's been released to, I must say, the somewhat cryogenic embrace of uh, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> the body language. You didn't really have to be Desmond Morris to no. read that, really, did <laughs> you? You <laughs> went for a big, great, big snog, and she just swerved in a way that none of our England cricket team are able to do. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I think the message was loud and clear. You've heard this many times from prostitutes, Geoffrey, no kissing.
7: <laughs> Gotta be careful, he's got a fighting fund, he's gonna go for all his enemies now.
0: But uh, you, you must be on his enemies list. You said something very rude to him on your TV show, didn't you?
7: I had a, like, a fractious interview with him many, many years ago. He's, he's strangely not very good at dealing with difficult questions. I and mean, most politicians can sort of duck and weave, but he just sort of gets cross. And uh, got a bit worked up. So I think you might have forgotten me by now. So please don't bring that up again. I
5: quite
7: like the fact he made a lot of uh, sort of capital
8: of the fact that when I was there, I got 3,000 Christmas cards. Well, of course you did. Who wouldn't enjoy writing Geoffrey Archer, Hollisley Bay Prison?
2: Christmas dinner now, Jeff. Oh, you, do, you don't like being called Jeff, do you? Well, that's a shame, because you're in prison, so you...
8: <laughs> yeah, he said you can call me Geoffrey or Lord Archer. That's a good move on your first day in the neck, isn't it? You can call me Lord Archer. I'm going to call you Mary, pal. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, whose new cabinet has something of the Shadows
0: about it?
9: Ah, Tories fondly imagine that we care who leads them. And, uh, <laughs> Under John Major, they waited years and years for a new leader, and suddenly three new leaders came along all at the same time. (laughs) And he's got the opposite problem for me and Duncan Smith, because when IDS took over, everyone was going, oh, what's the name of that bloke who leads the Tory party? Whereas now it's, what's the name of that party that Michael Howard leads? (laughs) And he's got this new slim-lined cabinet thing.
8: I thought it was quite funny when all the... when Ian Duncan Smith was sacked... And everyone in the Tory party said they, they weren't standing. I thought it would have been very funny if Michael Howard at the end said he wasn't standing.
3: <laughs> I think it's a joy that Michael Howard said. I've been waiting all my life to vote for somebody who was older than I was. When he... <laughs> When you get to my age and all these boys with babies being sick down their back in the middle of the night (laughs) and trying to run the country, you think, no, I can't vote for the Blairs or think about the Browns or the Hagues and these desperate people. And suddenly, (laughs) (laughs) I've got a man who's older than I am. I can respect this. I like that. I should explain at this point that uh, the rest of my team... Corrie Corfield can't say anything because it is a politically charged question. And as a member of the BBC uh, hacks neutrals, can't say anything. She's sitting here fuming she is not allowed to get her lovely mouth
10: around the words. You may say that, Alan. I couldn't possibly comment. There we go. But I can say, I can say factual things. Like right. Michael Howard is now the okay. leader of the Conservative Party and that the Conservative Party are selling Smith Square, aren't they?
8: Cory, what do you think of George Bush?
10: He's American. <laughs> <laughs> I it, met his father once. Did you? In Somalia. But
9: there. You have no opinion of him, <laughs> do you? <laughs> no. No. So no. are talking
10: what?
8: to the Queen. This.
10: Cha- what are the
9: chances <laughs> of that? That you both got invited to the same party in Somalia?
10: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Linda, how did the world's most wanted man get close to the world's most eligible bachelor?
10: Well, this
2: is your man, Aaron Bartcheck, is it? Bartchek. Bart- Bartchek, it doesn't matter, we won't need to remember it, but, um, <laughs> but anyway, he got into Windsor Castle, he got into the party, and he got up on stage, and he made a speech, and he snogged Prince William, and the terrible thing is he could easily have been a terrorist, and that would have been a disaster. King Edward the Ninth, the only one who wasn't there. He'd be like Caligula, wouldn't he? Forcing us to watch endless reruns of It's a Royal Knockout. Why, but it's hilarious! Oh, again? Yes, let's watch it again, shall we? You can't see it too many times.
8: Did you hear when? When the Queen saw
0: this man <laughs> in a pink dress and a beard dressed as something, bin Laden go up and snog Prince William uh, and give a speech, she said, oh, that'll be Harry.
9: <laughs> they're going to send in the SAS and, and say, right, see what you can do, chaps. And they're going to clamp down on people with a royal fixation, which is about... Jenny Bond. That's Jenny her Bond. Her, right? <laughs> Nicholas Witchell. They they raid Nicholas Witchell's flat. What do you think is in there? Loads and loads of magazines, pictures all over the walls, crowds, jubilee mugs. Organiser Eric Amy hit out today after just four people showed up for a public meeting to fight apathy in Dorchester.
0: The great thing about the news quiz is that the panel arrives every week, ready and eager to tackle the big issues of the day, those mighty global problems which keep statesmen awake at night and cause millions to march through the streets. Unfortunately, I keep asking them about sex instead. Sandy, what gives both scientists and criminals their get-up-and-go-go?
4: Yes, this is your basic sexual chemistry, Uh, apparently. Uh, There's some guy at the University of Canterbury. He's done a study of uh, famous scientists, geniuses, uh, people like Einstein and discovered that they made all their major discoveries before they were 30. And his theory about this is that they did it to attract women. That women would go, Oh, have you seen the double helix on him? And um, (laughs) It's not a thought I've ever had of Einstein. You've only ever seen pictures of him very, very old. I've never seen a picture of him under 30 thinking, I fancy a bit of that, I know what I'll do. (laughs) It's a sad tale about men, really, isn't it? You know, these fantastic and extraordinary advances. That men have made, and you think, wow, they've got fantastic brains. No, they're keeping their brains exactly where all the other men keep them. It's very odd that it's part
3: of the programming to attract women. We imagine women are going to be besotted by a man with long hair who comes up and says E equals MC squared, and they say, your place or mine. It seems very strange, and exactly the same age for villains. And we all thought villains were like mad Frankie Fraser, they carried on to their 80. Apparently, villainy is only good up to about 31. Then you sort of lose your zest
6: for blowing the doors off. Does it, Very odd. exactly the same age as scientists. Does it follow that people with a high sex drive then are supposed to be either geniuses or criminals?
2: No, just annoying. <laughs>
6: Because yeah, I was going to hopefully use it. You're a
2: scientist, I believe. You're a mathematician, aren't you?
6: Well, I'm a university dropout. I don't think that quite qualifies for genius.
2: <laughs> I didn't actually use the word genius, but <laughs> clearly you heard it. Um. Yeah.
6: <laughs> there was a fantastic story about Einstein, who, um, who actually became a celebrity within his own lifetime. He was sort of recognised throughout the world. And he was sitting with some other scientists in a coffee shop in America, complaining about being a celebrity, because people kept coming up and asking for autographs. And one of the other scientists, with a real scientific mind, he saw straight through the problem and said, get your hair cut. <laughs> Marcus, listen to this.
5: Every span is
0: Marcus, what
1: do you advise to do with your sperm? Yeah, no, what it is that uh, is uh, every sperm is sacred. Uh, and it's basically that there's been some medical research done to say that storing up your sperm or not giving your sperm the <laughs> you opportunity. You mean in Kilner jars or like? In no, the no, no. <laughs> no. Storing it where it starts right. this
5: is tricky natural I'm, habitat. Tr-
1: I'm trying to keep this round included basically um, yeah <laughs> it's called basically saving all your pocket money for a rainy day
9: <laughs> <laughs> keeping your passion porridge and your love grenades
1: yes i think that's suitably euphemistic no one will see what we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, basically, that, that uh, store, <laughs> storing up your sperm doesn't make you any more fertile. If anything, it makes you less fertile. Because <laughs> if it were true that, you know, if you had no release, it just, you had more and more, monks wouldn't be able to walk. Do <laughs> <laughs> they? Like divine space hoppers. <laughs> but the, the, the report says basically that it's quality, not quantity. That's, that's important. Right. And they've basically <laughs> revealed that uh, sperm really is a lot like pensions. It doesn't matter how long you leave it in there, when you try and get it out, you're always going to be disappointed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Linda, who's going potty about sign language?
2: Oh, this is this terrible idea of sign language for babies. The idea that you can make your little baby more intelligent by getting it to use sign language uh, before it has the power of speech. And it's just a gift for these terrible, pushy parents to sort of go, "Uh, I'm really worried about little Mezzanine. (laughs) (laughs) He's six months old and he can't play the violin. I think he may be special needs. Um, Just terrible, terrible idea. We're going to be raising a nation of mime artists. (laughs) Is this what we want? There's one thing you need to know with babies, just never put your thumb through the soft bit on the top of their head. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need to know, because a baby's head's like a coconut, and, uh, and there's three little dots, but only one works, so... <laughs> Apparently,
4: it takes quite a long time to teach this sign language to the babies. They said, you have to be really patient. I thought, well, you wait long enough, they'll talk to you. <laughs>
6: I don't don't have kids myself, so I'm I'm not sure how well this would work, but I I do use a lot of sign language on the 12-year-olds in my area, mainly. (laughs) But most of them are parents and do pass it on to their
10: kids. (laughs) An amendment has been laid in the House of Lords to clause 70 of the new Sexual Offences Bill. Amendment 343 reads, Page 32, line 1, Leave out genitals and insert penis. (laughs)
0: Never content with doing for science what Henry VIII did in his work as a relate councillor, our team are always keen to get to the meat of every issue. Armando, listen to this.
8: that really added anything. <laughs> that was a theme tune to Black Beauty. It was. Three points. Right, next Who's
5: question.
8: been putting the stallion in Italian? Well, I have to defend my country's honour here. There are rumours that some salamis may have horse meat in them.
2: Aren't these rumours started by scientists who've analysed this salami? <laughs> uh...
8: <laughs> Uh, Yes, but these (laughs) weren't Italian scientists. (laughs) Apparently, most salamis are fine. There are one or two salamis that have horse meat in them and you can detect them because they are (laughs) five feet in diameter, (laughs) seven feet long, and they have four other salamis. (laughs) Two from the front, two from the back, and a horse's head on them. (laughs) they basically horses in a vest. Um, but there is nothing wrong with having horse meat in, you know, if that's the bag you're into, you know. It would be worse if there was um, jockey meat in salami. <laughs> <laughs> if you found bits of Lester Piggott in, you know, German sausages and uh, John McCurrick in a pasty, you know. That's when you start, <laughs> the Queen Mother in Pitter Bread, you know, that's, that's when you start like, launching an inquiry. But... <laughs> Since that hasn't happened, I don't see what all the fuss is about. It's only a horse. <laughs> so you're vegetarian. <laughs> it's, a just, it's, not, it's not all Italian manufacturers. It's a few bad eggs and <laughs> rotten apples, which are the ingredients of pork pies. <laughs> <laughs> Government is to launch
0: an investigation into salami, horitho and other exotic sausages after an investigation discovered one in eight Contained horse and donkey meat. It's good odds. <laughs> Eating horse and donkey is not against the law, though Muffin the Mule is still illegal in 37 states. <laughs> Francis, listen to this.
7: hear that often these days, you ever <laughs> How
9: on. do they get the artillery into the concert hall? That's what I wanted.
3: <laughs> it was last performed at the Open Air Theatre of Baghdad. That
5: was
8: the... <laughs> <laughs> Next to the Museum of Rubble. Francis, <laughs> who's the noisy boy, then?
7: It's a cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a woman in I don't know, Northumberland or somewhere, who takes in stray birds and the RSPCA gave her a cockatiel they'd found wandering around in a confused state. I think it's called Spiky or something. Yes. Um, but it's driving her to distraction because at four o'clock every morning, this bird suddenly stands for attention and whistles its way through the 1812 Overture. Its <laughs> <laughs> little claws on the perch go boom, boom, boom. <laughs> um... <laughs> But anyway, she, she's desperate to get rid of this thing and she's appealed to the owner to come forward and said there must be someone out there who's missing a cockatiel that sings the 1812 Overture at four in the morning every day. And Actually, I don't think the previous owner is missing it at all. They? <laughs>
2: <laughs> There's another bird story uh, in the papers this week about um, British songbirds having to sing louder. They've had to make their little bird song louder and higher now, because they're all, don't they, going, yes, I'm on the tree!
0: (laughs) (laughs) Spiky the Cockatiel wakes her owners up at 4am every morning by whistling excerpts from the 1812 Overture. Elaine Redhead of County Durham provides a temporary home for unwanted birds, and she's desperate to find someone who can take Jerry Halliwell off her hands. (laughs) Let's hear the cuttings the teams have brought along. Uh,
4: This is from uh, the East Lothian News, a fine publication. A man was taken to hospital when his head was split open by a brick. Contrary to expectations, he hadn't been attacked. He was merely trying to see how high he could throw the brick. (laughs) Unfortunately, because it was 2.30 in the morning and dark, he couldn't... (laughs) He couldn't see very clearly and didn't move out of the way to, <laughs> to avoid the brick falling on his head. Police believe he may have been drunk.
6: <laughs> this uh, from the Bristol Evening Post. Members of Soroptimist International Bristol have invited the Rotary Club of Bristol to have a friendship evening on September the 9th. The event at the Bristol and West building begins at 7pm and is in aid of charity Limbs for Life. Tickets cost £10 and include a finger buffet and a glass of wine.
1: <laughs> My cutting is sent in by Iris Bryce from Blissworth, and this is from Just Jazz magazine. A sad passing. What with all the sadness and anxiety with which the world is dealing at the moment, it is worth stopping to reflect on the death of a very important person which almost went unnoticed last week. Larry Laprise, the man who wrote The Hokey Cokey, died peacefully at the age of 93. The most traumatic part for his family was getting him into the coffin. (laughs) They put his left leg in and that's when the trouble started. (laughs)
8: This actually is from the Irish Independent. Battle Mountain, an Nevada town that was named Armpit of America by the Washington Post, is to host its own Armpit Festival in August. Sponsored by Old Spice Deodorant, the festival will include an Armpit beauty pageant, a sweat T-shirt contest, and a quick-draw antiperspirant competition. The Post chose Battle Mountain for its, quote, lack of character and charm, it's pathetic assemblage of ghastly buildings, and it's nasty people.
2: (laughs) This cutting was uh, sent in by Pamela Gorham uh, from the Lancaster Guardian, and it's um, a correction to the previous week's recipe. Chris Dixon's actual recipe should have read half a teaspoonful of baking powder and half a pint of water, not one tablespoon of baking powder and one pint of water, as printed. Apologies to readers who followed last week's recipe for sticky toffee pudding and had their puddings explode.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, mine is from Yachts and Yachting, Simon, and I wouldn't believe it if it hadn't been sent to me uh, by the editor, Mike Gibb. He says, an interesting launch on the Solent last month when a new sloop commissioned by Mr. Robert Whittaker was ceremonially launched by his wife Alice, after whom the boat was to be named. As she declared, I name this ship, the champagne bottle slipped from her grasp and smashed. The Whittakers had a hasty conversation and agreed that it might be unlucky to change Alice's announcement. The boatyard's painter was summoned and the boat duly launched. It is now
0: called Bugger. that's about it. Let me wish you a very happy new year and offer a favourite cutting from the old one, read by Brian Perkins. We start round two with an item from the Wildlife Trust's News and Events Guide. July the 27th, discover the magic of rare peatland habitats, spend a day
10: on the bog. (laughs) The news quiz of the year was presented by Simon Hoggett, Alan Corrin, Amanda Anucci, Jeremy Hardy, Linda Smith, Francis Ween, Sandy Togsvig, Cory Caulfield, Krishnan Guru Murthy, Dave Gorman, Marcus Brigstock, Phil Jupiters, Clive Anderson and Eddie May. The chairman's script was written by George Poles, Dave Cohen, Simon Littlefield, Paul McKenzie and Lucy Clark. The producer was Simon Nichols. <laughs>